Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be uh, worshiping with you this morning, and it's uh, uh, so good to be able to uh, share the Word of God with you as well. Um, in recent weeks, we've been, you know what, kind of awkward. I think I left my glasses somewhere. Are they over there by my chair? I know when I come to reading the passage, I'm going to have a little bit of trouble. Thank you. Well, that's going to be much better, much better. Well, in recent weeks, we've been looking at uh, a number of encounters that Jesus had uh, in, his, in his earthly uh, ministry with individuals who could best be described as being in hopeless need. Um, and we've been seeing through these encounters, we've been seeing uh, something of the heart of Jesus on display, his kindness, his gentleness, his, his compassion. Uh, and we've said that when we see the heart of Jesus, we really are seeing the heart of God. And when we see the, uh, his heart towards these individuals, it also is revealing something of his heart towards us and how he deals with us. Uh, not only that, but these encounters also teach us uh, so much about how we are able to approach him as well. And that's certainly what comes through in the story that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. We're going to be uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at uh, a story in Matthew chapter 15 that describes the interaction between Jesus and a particular woman in need. Now, she's not a Jewish woman. She's a Canaanite woman. She's not from among the Hebrews, she's from a different uh, tribal, ethnic uh, background altogether. But, but we see, we get to see how Jesus interacts with her. And I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's, it's instructing. And I hope as well that it will be, uh, for each of us, edifying. I hope that it will build us up. So let's see what it says. Matthew chapter 15 and beginning at verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the record of these remarkable encounters that Jesus had with ordinary men and women. Men and women in great need who in many ways reflect the great need of our own lives, our own hearts. And we see how God, the Lord Jesus interacted with them and how he was gracious and how he met their needs. 
We pray that you would, through this story, instruct us, but not just instruct us so we have a better understanding of the text, but that we would have a better understanding of who you are, a better understanding of this glorious gospel that we live in and celebrate. Would you enable us to grow even more in our love for the Lord Jesus and grow in the measure of faith this morning as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a, a difficult and somewhat problematic uh, story. Uh, it kind of, in some ways, tends to offend us. And I think it's always appropriate when you find yourself being offended by Jesus to stop and think, why? Why am I offended? What is it about Jesus that's going on here? Have I got Jesus wrong? Have I misunderstood this story? Is there something that I need to learn about Jesus? Is there something that I need to learn about myself in this story? And it certainly does throw up those kinds of questions because this story is, is, it shows an apparently less safe version of Jesus than we might be used to. We don't have here a kind of vanilla flavor uh, cardigan-wearing, saccharine Jesus. No, we, we see a side of his personality that at first seems out of character. He's slightly robust in the way that he speaks to this lady. He certainly doesn't seem to encourage her. In fact, he seems to insult her. He even uses what looks like a racial slur when he speaks about her as a dog. I mean, there's no good way to, to sort of spin this. You can't kind of gloss over it. And when we hit points in the Bible where we are tempted to take offense with Jesus, we should pause. Because trigger moments are educating moments. They're, 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 there's going to be a reason for this. It's a learning opportunity. So we shouldn't rush past it. We, sh we should consider, what's going on here? And, and why does this offend me so much? Why does this shock and surprise me? And I hope it does. I hope it shocks and surprises. Because it does seem to be out of keeping with what we know about Jesus and, and how we've seen Jesus interacting with others in, in recent weeks as we've been going through this brief series. Because if you look at the gospel accounts, you'll notice as you go through the story, story after story after story, the gospel writers seem to love to point out again and again how Jesus was actually drawn to the outsiders. People who, who would have been considered too distant, too disqualified, not, not from the right family, not from the right ethnic group, not from the right kind of religious background. People with questionable lifestyles, people who are outsiders because of ritual reasons. These are the people that repeatedly Jesus is drawn towards. He seems to delight in touching the, the, the leper and welcoming the outsider. He, he reaches out to the person who seems oppressed by evil spirits, that, that seems to be deeply mentally scarred. Jesus is drawn to the marginalized. People who would be seen as just outsiders and excluded, Jesus deliberately makes a beeline for, makes a, a deliberate point of including them and the people that he's most likely to offend 
the people who he's most likely to actually actively exclude are the people who would consider themselves as natural insiders. Jesus insists incessantly calls them to, to, to reconsider, to reflect on whether they really are insiders. He continually speaks about God being drawn to those who aren't qualified by anything that the Jews at the time would have recognized, but are qualified simply by trust in him, by faith in him. So ordinarily, Jesus is turning the tables. He is questioning and undermining the assumptions of who should be included and who should be excluded. And ordinarily, he is the great includer. So in this story, we seem to have a Jesus who is acting out of character. And maybe there's a clue there. Maybe the very way he's speaking to this woman is to make a point about what it is that he's actually come to do. And what is it that Jesus has come to do? Well, you could summarize it as Jesus is bringing the holiness, the wonder, the joy, the privilege of heaven to all peoples. To, to, he's come to share with Israel first, but with all peoples, the goodness of the heavenly father. And this is so that all people, all nations can be reconciled to God. Jesus has come to achieve that. But that process of doing that has been centuries and centuries in the making. In fact, the whole Bible tells a very long story showing, showing that it takes time, it takes process for that to be possible. And to understand why, we need to understand that the problem of humanity starts with our decision right back at the start of history to replace God as the center of everything. We, we decided right at the very start of the story, this is what the first pages of the Bible describe, the human decision to say, well, God, you have made us, we, you, you have made us and you've invited us into your world to bring us into your joy and your happiness, your love, with you at the center of it all. But we would rather we were at the center. You can be in it, maybe, but... but, but but we insist that we are central. In fact, I insist that I am central. And, and we've kind of, from the very beginning point, have insisted on our own independent centrality to everything. We've established selfishness. And the result of it, sin, shame, and death. And it also means... There's been a division not only between God and humanity, but also between people, between different nations. Because, because driven by our fallen human instincts, by selfishness, nations are now cut off from one another, warring against each other, suspicious of one another, cynical about one another. This is surely the, a big chunk of, of the human story, isn't it? And so God has spent history working a means of peace through incredible patience and wisdom and kindness and giving of himself. He's made a way for friendship to be restored and for relationship to be fully restored. But it's not simple 
Because the problem, the thing that has split us off from God, the infection of sin, if you like, is so serious, is so deadly. It's something that's so horribly poisonous that, you know, it, it, it makes COVID look incredibly mild in terms of, of, of how serious it is. And so the coming together of God and humanity is dangerous because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of the human heart. They can't just kind of come together in some thoughtless way without, without any plan, without, without any way of dealing with the infection. And, and, and what happened was God instituted a means of dealing with the infection. And he started with one nation, the nation of Israel. And they had a system of cleansing, just like we have with, with masks and social distancing. They had a kind of social distancing way of approaching God. It involved a tabernacle and a temple. It involved the sacrifice of animals. It was very, very specific. It was very, very careful. Because when you're dealing with a holy God, it's dangerous. And so there was this special people that were separated because they had this privilege. But the problem is, by this time in their story, their privilege is what they are aware of more than they are aware of the generosity of the God who has welcomed them in by his sheer kindness. They, they have become more aware of how they are superior and aloof from the other nations, the non-Jewish nations. And Jesus comes into that situation to say, the actual problem now is, is, is not primarily about how the Gentile nations, the, the non-Jewish nations, don't have the same rituals to get them into the presence of God. The problem is going to be that you people or any people who have a high sort of, of dosage of religion are going to be in danger of putting your trust more in religion, in outward systems of cleansing, outward means of religion, outward rituals and, and, and schemes. You're going to put your trust primarily in that. You're going to think that because you grew up in the right family, because you belong to the right people, you don't really need mercy. You've forgotten that at the very heart of your relationship with God has always been this de desperate dependence upon him, this terrible need for mercy. And this kindness of God in providing a way of mercy through sacrifice, you've forgotten how desperately indebted to God you are. You've forgotten his mercy. And you've made it all about your religious high profile. And so Jesus comes in saying, actually, the ones you've excluded, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the Gentiles, they're the ones that are going to be welcomed in. In fact, Jesus, it's interesting that when he talks to this woman, he, he talks about the scraps at the table and the dog's uh, not getting the food at the table. And she says, yeah, but the dogs get the crumbs. And, and you look, for instance, at the way Jesus on another occasion talks um, about this Roman centurion who comes to him and says, if you're willing, you can, you can heal my servant. I mean, he's a Roman soldier. I mean, he's not just a Roman. He's a Roman soldier. He could not be more enemy. He is completely the enemy of God's people. And yet, what does Jesus say about him? 
He says this, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, I tell you, the insiders are about to be the outsiders. The insiders are about to be the outsiders, and the outsiders are about to be the insiders. That's coming. That's coming. Why? Because the thing that God has always insisted upon is not primarily about how well you look at your religious observance and how holy you look to yourself and to the world around you, but how much you are completely dependent upon and trusting in the mercy of God. If, if you want to talk about who's the children at the table and who are the dogs on the outside, Jesus is saying, be really careful. Because the basis on which God welcomes us into fellowship is not our ethnic background, or our own sense of family pride, or our own sense of, of what we've achieved, our righteousness, our, our being kind of pure in some ritualistic sense. No, the only basis where we are welcome at the table is what the Roman century had or what this Canaanite woman had. Faith in God. That's it. Faith. He's looking for faith, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whatever your ethnic background, whatever your educational background, whatever your past, whoever, you know, whatever your story, Jesus call, is calling us to trust in him, to faith in him. That's it. And, and that's what he honors in this woman. Uh, he honors this woman for in, in, in this story. And that's what he continues to do today. He calls us into relationship based on trust in his character, trust in him, trust in, in who he is. And so we have here a model of faith. And what I want to do before I finish is just kind of un unpack the, the qualities of faith that we see in this woman. How, how does she show faith? And there are so many things that we could say, but I'm going to draw just three from this story. First of all, the humility of her faith. The humility of her faith is striking. Second of all, the persistence of her faith. And then thirdly, the revelation her faith is rooted in. Let's, so let's look at how her faith is shown. First of all, it's shown in humility. She comes to Jesus humbly. She's not really that impressed with herself. She's not really that full of herself. She comes making herself vulnerable. She comes kneeling. She comes calling out. She cries out. In fact, the disciples get, get irritated with her, but she doesn't really seem to be bothered by that. She doesn't seem to mind. She's not standing on her dignity, even, even though she's being ignored and, 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 and insulted. She's humble about it. You know, it takes a, a remarkable perspective to not come to God with a sense of entitlement, to not come to God with assumptions, to not come to God trying to, to make a transaction with him, to trade with him. I mean, that's what we naturally do. That's our default uh, mode. What we tend to do is we try to make claims on God. That's, I mean, that's what religion is. Religion essentially is human beings trying to do business with God, trying to present a good side of ourselves to God so that he will be indebted to us, obliged to us. But you see none of that. 
that here. She comes saying, have mercy, have mercy on me. There's a story, I don't know how true it is, but it makes the point powerfully. Uh, Napoleon was approached uh, by a mother of a soldier in his army who had done something uh, warranting the death penalty. And and he was set up for execution after a court-martial. And she approached Napoleon herself to appeal to him for mercy. She said, have mercy on my son. And, and he said to, says to her, why should I have mercy? Why does he deserve mercy? And she said to him, he doesn't deserve mercy. If, it, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. That's why I'm asking for mercy. And he actually let her son go free. Because she made the right kind of appeal, I suppose. Mercy goes to the undeserving. That's the whole point of mercy. Mercy doesn't go to those who, who present a good case. It's, it's given freely. It's given graciously. And she understands that. She knows that she's got nothing to claim. So she comes humbly. She says, please, have mercy on me. And friends, we have to come to the point of understanding that our relationship with God, our relationship to God is only possible because of his sheer mercy. And in a way that can sound unsettling, but when you consider that the Bible says that he is rich in mercy, well, it gives us a lot of hope. But we start there, we start Humbly basing our appeal on his mercy, not on what we have to claim. She's also humble in the sense that she refuses to take offense. I think this is striking. She's got every reason to take offense, I, I suppose. I mean, Jesus at first ignores her, and then he speaks strongly to her. Can you imagine? Sorry, sorry, did you just call me a dog? Did you just, did you just ignore me? And notice that even the disciples get in on it. They're rude to her. The disciples say, please send this woman away. She's inconvenient. She's a pain. Just send her away. I mean, how many of us would have the same story? We, we, we might have good reason to be offended because, because of the disciples of Jesus. Flawed people can create that sense of offense. It's the disciples. It's, it's those Christians. It's the church I went to. They offended me. They weren't kind to me. They excluded me. me. They were rude to me. I've been around Christians. They're hypocrites. They say they love Jesus. Well, they didn't love me much. I wonder how many of us have ever felt tempted to give up in faith because we've been offended. I suppose it's always tempting for us to reach for the offense switch, you know, to, to pull the offense uh, leave her. I'm offended. I'm out. You've offended me. I'm out. Well, this woman had ample reason to be deeply offended by the disciples of Jesus. But faith remains humble. Faith doesn't take offense so easily. Faith overcomes offense and says, I still know that there's something in this Jesus that I want. I want him. In spite of how badly I've been treated. I want him. And this is what leads me on to the second characteristic of her face. She's humble, but she's also persistent. She's persistent. She doesn't give up. 
She won't give up when she's ignored, when she's rebuked by the disciples, when Jesus pushes her back, she keeps coming back. She is persistent. And there's something about persistent trust, persistent faith that God particularly honors. There's something about faith that needs to be mixed with patience for it to be rewarded. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about that, faith and patience inheriting the promises. So she comes back at him. Jesus ignores her. Jesus gives her an answer that she doesn't want to hear. She asks again. Jesus gives her another answer that she doesn't want to hear. This time with real sting, you know, with the, with the dog word, she still comes back again. She says, yeah, 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 but even the dogs get scraps from the table. Jesus, you see, is inviting argument from this woman. He's not put off by the fact that she argues. He's not offended by her pointing out the possible loopholes in his argument. He's not offended by her questioning, saying, Lord, what about this? Why not this? Why not this? Why not this? Please, please, please. She keeps coming back and her persistence is rewarded. You know, maybe we imagine that God would find that a grievance, that God would be irritated by that, but no, he invites it. In fact, when you think about it, prayer is about arguing with God very often. It's about coming back to him and saying, yeah, but what about this? What about that? Making a case before him. I mean, scripture teaches this all the way through. Jesus himself in the Sermon of the Mount, ask, seek, knock. And the words there are not passive, they're strong verbs. Be asking, be seeking, be knocking, being an asking kind of person. And if the asking doesn't work, be a seeking kind of person. And if the seeking doesn't work, be a knocking kind of person. Press in, he's saying. He, uh, he's, he also taught in many parables. It says elsewhere to show them, to show um, them, or men and women, that, that they are always to pray and not give up. He told many stories to say, look, don't give up. Don't be a quitter in prayer. There's something about persistence that is rewarded. And we need to receive that lesson from this heroic lady. And then finally, and this is, this is the, the root of the first and the second. We've got to get this right. This is an important needle to, to thread. This woman, in fact, is not ultimately the hero of the story because she's, you know, some rugged, robust, persistent woman who is incredibly impressive on her own two legs. No, no, no. This woman herself draws energy and fuel for her persistence and her humility through the third characteristic of faith, which is the most important one in that it's based on revelation. You see, her faith is fueled by what God has revealed to her about his, his son, Jesus. She knows something. She has seen something. She's actually seen more than the people of Israel had seen about Jesus. And you can tell this by the way she addresses him. When she approaches him, she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. You know, people got in, in trouble for calling him son of David. She doesn't care because that's who she knows him to be. She, 
She's not even Jewish, and she knows that the king of the Jews is standing in front of her. She says, you are the Messiah. You are the king. You are the son of David. You are the promised one. You're the one who is sent into the world to deal with God's enemies and to rescue God's people. That's who you are. I see it. I get it. She knows who Jesus is. She knows what he's come to do. She understands the story that Jesus is the climax of. When when God reveals himself in the Old Testament to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, it's with this language, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in everlasting steadfast love. She is saying, that's who you are. You are the Lord. You're the Lord. You're, the Is- you're Israel's Lord in the flesh. Yeah, wrapped up in skin, but nevertheless, that's who you are. I get it. I see it. You are the merciful God who still splits the seas and rescues people from evil. And my daughter, my daughter is afflicted with evil and there's an evil power that's ruining her life and spoiling our family and destroying everything that we love. And I need the merciful God to break in to my situation. And I believe that's who you are. She's seen him for who he is. You're, you're no ordinary man. You're, you're not just another rabbi. You're not, you're not like the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. You're, you're, not, you're not even like your, your disciples. You are the Lord. You are the merciful one. You are the one whose mercy is staggering. And friends, until we start to see Jesus as more than just a nice guy, the vanilla-flavored, predictable, safe one, the toothless but useless one, until you start to see him as the Lord, the son of David, the one who is merciful, but overwhelmingly merciful, overwhelmingly gracious, good, kind, gentle, oh yeah, but with capital letters in a scary kind of way, magnificently kind, overwhelmingly gracious. When you start to see Jesus, the, 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 the pumping heartbeat of the loving God, the, uh, so loving that he went to the cross, when you start to see that, you start to be able to say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to persist. I'm going to keep asking because I know enough about you, even when you're being apparently rude to me. And I just want to dwell on that that. Before we close, it, it, this is so important. Let me just take a few minutes to make this point because I find it staggering that she believes this in spite of the evidence apparently in front of her face. I mean, Jesus seems to be pushing her away, doesn't he? He's not encouraging. You know, she, she's, she's thinking of him maybe it, from Exodus 34, abounding in steadfast love. Well, he doesn't seem very abounding, does he? I mean, referring to her as, you know, rudely, rejecting her, resisting her. What's, what's going on here? You know, sometimes we have to choose to walk in line with what we've learned about the mercy and the goodness of God in spite of the disguise he seems to be wearing. See, sometimes God will come to us in disguise, as it were. God will come to us through a difficult situation. God will come to us 
not just in our answer, in our answers to prayer, he will come to us in our unanswered prayers. He'll, he'll come to us in our painful times. He'll come to us in seasons where we think, what is going on? Why, why, why is God doing this? He'll come to us in storms and struggles and difficulties and, and pain. And it'll be like, the Lord is, 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 is coming to us in, 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 in these things. Why? Because he dislikes us? No, 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 no. Because he's watching us. He's watching us. He's watching our faith grow. He's helping us to discover that in the end, we trust him. We know he's worth it. And we keep pursuing him through the dark, through the wilderness, through the difficulty. And we get to, to, to learn the, the depths of his mercy at those times, more than the times when everything's sunny and everything is fluffy and happy and everything is fine. We get to know the real God in the midst of the darkness and pain and confusion because we trust in his promise. We, we come back to what he's, he's, he's really said that he's like and, and we say, I believe you. You are the merciful Lord. You are. And we keep believing. We keep pressing on in, in the faith that, that he calls us to have in his, abound, his abounding love. But he does disguise himself. You, don't know, you know, we don't know much about what Jesus looked like, but we do know that the Bible says he didn't look like much. Isaiah 53, it says, there was nothing in his form that was attractive. Isn't that odd? The most beautiful person in eternity shows up disguised as a plain-looking man. Not, a good, not good-looking, apparently. When, when, when God shows up in the flesh, he shows up as an ordinary looking guy. What's that about? Why, why would God do that? I mean, if you saw him now, you would be brought to your knees by his beauty. You'd be on your face by how extraordinary he looked. God has a way of hiding himself sometimes. God has a way of not showing us the beauty that we would hope in. I mean, this happens throughout scriptures. We see it again and again and again. I was thinking about Job this week and, and how it's got words like this, the, where one of the heroes of the Bible says this to God, I cried you for help, O Lord, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you only look at me. You have become cruel towards me. You use your power to persecute me. Made me think of this woman. You ignore me. You're cruel to me. Why is God like this? I don't always have the answers. I, I don't know completely. I'm not supposed to know. But I'll tell you this. In Job's story, God wasn't ignoring him at all. Because the conversation behind Job's back is God saying, watch Job, consider Job. I'm watching him. I'm watching Job. And I think that it's like that with this woman. When Jesus seems to be looking the other way, he has eyes in the back of his head. He is always watching. He's always watching. The times when we feel lonely, we feel so ignored, maybe even like, like God's being hostile. Friends, he's watching always. And he's watch, he watches to see, are we trusting 
Have we seen how good he is? And God will do that in, in your life. God, God will seem to be showing no mercy. And that those times you need to continue to remind yourself of what he's really like. Remind yourself of his goodness, his love behind the clouds, behind the darkness, behind the frown. There's a deep smile. There's a warmth. There's this love. There's this tenderness. There's this willingness to heal, to raise up. And he shows it to her. Woman, your faith is great. Your daughter's healed. He loves to heal. There's a mystery there, surely. He hides himself. He, he hides himself in tough circumstances. He hides himself in seasons where you think, God's not watching me. Jesus, you're not showing up for me at the moment. I'm praying, but you're not answering me. I'm struggling and you don't seem to care. I don't feel your presence. I used to feel it, but I don't feel it now. Like I can't even see you. You don't seem to be involved. You don't seem to be watching. I promise you, he is. I promise you, and more importantly, so does this book. He, he speaks to you today through what I'm saying to you. He says, I, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And, and though it seems as though I mock you and despise you and ignore you, I tell you, all of heaven's eyes are on you. And you can be sure when you see the cross, you see the darkness of Calvary, you see the one hanging despised on the cross, ignored by heaven, and yet holding on in faith. You see that God knows the journey. He knows the loneliness. He knows the walk. And we're called to trust him in the midst of it. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to have the same kind of faith that this woman had. She, she took your mercy more seriously than the, the thing that you seemed to be saying to her at the time. The thing you seemed to be saying to her at the time was confusing, painful, even insulting. But she took your mercy more seriously. Teach us to do the same. Help us to remember because of the cross, we can be sure that we're, we're right to see your mercy as the final word, the final verdict. Help us to believe and trust in your mercy, even through the dark times. We confess that we, we do find it difficult to, to know, especially at times where it's like, what is God doing? Why is God not showing up in my situation? Why is he not answering my questions? Why do I still not know what's going to happen? I, I, I prayed so long. I've sought you for so long. You, and you don't seem to, to show me answers. In fact, you show, seem to show me kind of the, the hard side of your hand. Lord, help us to come back to what we know of your goodness and your tenderness. And trust you. And help us to grow in faith like this mighty woman. Help us to know deep down, you are good. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen.